guest. I'm really excited about today's guest for a number of reasons because, uh, you know, as a as a young man, I was very very influenced by uh, his music. Um, it really informed all the a lot of the tastes that I have today. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's been one of the most influential music musicians and producers for a lot of people too. And his career spans decades. He's responsible for so many hip hop classics, from Daylight to Gravediggers to Handsome Boy Modeling School. Uh, you know, his career is pretty unparalleled by a lot of people. So um, I'd like you all to uh, welcome a uh, Prince Paul, aka Chess Rockwell, aka The Undertaker, to the show. Um, so yeah, where where are you at currently? Are you are you at home? Yeah, well, this is uh, this is my basement, and I am. Well, you know, Batman never reveals the address of the Batcave, now does he? You know? Absolutely. When you can give me that, then I'll tell you exactly where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't need to blow up the spot for sure. <laughs> um, but hey, man, I, I was talking to Op. Uh, Op mentioned that you were maybe out of town, uh, and you're working on something. Are you able to? I mean, again, I don't want to blow up your spot, but are you able to talk about what you're working on at the moment? Um. Well, I think if, you know, I'm not on social media that much, but if people do see me on social media, it's, they'll probably see me with De La Soul. And, um, yeah, that's, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, it's, it's a nice being reunited, uh, and it feels so good. Now it's nice to be reunited and, you know, we're, we're working on some things. Um, but the primary thing, uh, and I know everybody's concerned, is we're just getting things ready for streaming. So, um, but you know, there's there's always a, a host of things that can happen, or possibly will happen. I like to just be a mystery. Leave it at that. <laughs> That's fair enough, man. I mean, geez, you're right. There are so many things that can happen and and may happen or will happen. Uh, it's the music industry. Yeah, man, you know, and, and you know, what's crazy. A lot of things with the music industry, things that's supposed to happen, never happen, you know, and that, and that's, I always tell everybody is like, look, out of every 10 things that's supposed to happen, I'm supposed to do about one and a half materializes. And that's been my whole entire life. It's, you know, yeah, I don't expect, you know, you, you'll never hear me, see me online going, yo, I'm about to work with such and such. I got this movie. I'm doing that. Never because people will be disappointed. And they'll go, well, what happened to that? You know, and so I just try to say as little as possible. So, you know. Yeah, man. I think that's a really interesting perspective because even like on your Wikipedia, when I was doing some, you know, research, talking, uh, checking out your Wikipedia, obviously, I knew a lot of stuff, but the kind of details behind some of, you know, my favorite albums of yours, you know, are fascinating. The, like the story about, you know, you're, you've had deals with Russell Simmons and Def Jam and then things have materialized <laughs> and you've done things with Easy E and Ruthless Records and like, man, so I've, there's some real interesting stories just with certain records coming out or not coming out or just getting them released, right? Yeah, that's my whole life. I, I, I told someone recently, I'm six degrees separated from everyone, even the people you least expect. Somehow I'm six degrees separated from something or some situation, you know, um, and, and not all of it is good and not all of it's bad, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, anybody who wants, you know, I don't know who's in the music industry who's watching, wants to be in the music industry, and I say this again, this is a rule of thumb. Out of every 10 things, every one and a half thing materializes. If you live with that, you will not be disappointed. If you get two things, then you'll be happy because you surpass with the, you know, the, the averages for, for succeeding. Absolutely, but needless to say, man, you've had more than one or two things happen in your life and, and go really, really well. Um, but managing the expectations for for you how how have you managed that like i mean i'm thinking of like so many 
crazy things that you've done, and and obviously there's probably many other that, that many others that haven't happened. But how have you kind of managed that on a personal level? Um, I think for me, it's knowing that I don't know. I just never. It's funny. Somebody asked me this recently too. It's like I never took music as serious as most people. I took it as a labor of love, but I never took it as, you know, I'm trying to blow up and here's my 8x10 glossy and I'm going around and I'm trying to make this hit record. I did whatever was fun and whatever came out of that, I accepted, you know? And so my approach was different because usually if you really try to succeed, you'll think commercially because now you're just trying to do whatever it takes to be seen to get things happening. Me, people went left, I went right. And some weird reason, some, I don't know, in the universe, it just worked out. You know, I was not supposed to succeed or be making records still at the, at the age at, of 55. That was not supposed to happen because I've just done everything to go anti-pop, <laughs> you know, say anti-commercial. So, I, you know, I'm thankful, you know, it, it, so I'm, I'm very, every day I'm just very thankful. Just to, to, it's, a, it's a surprise to me. So that's how I match my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love that though because, you know, like, well, first of all, you've had like a really cohesive sound throughout your career. As a fan of yours, you know, like I've listened to a lot of your, all your projects, you know, that I'm, I'm aware of. Even, you know, going through this, uh, you know, preparing for this interview, I was going through a bunch of your stuff. And yeah, it's, it's so cohesive. In fact, um, you know, one of the mixtapes that I first I discovered of yours um, was a promo that you did for Psychoanalysis. Uh, oh wow! Confessions of a Beat Junkie. Shout out right. to my friend Ella Brown who, who who loaned that to me. This stayed in my in my Walkman for many <laughs> many months. And Walkman, I, Jesus. <laughs> okay, yeah. Now we're going through back. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Hey, I'm not young myself. So um, it was crazy though. Just like as a at that age, like listening to a lot of your music and realizing how far back you went. You know, if we're gonna go all the way back, Stetsasonic. You were very you're a young young man at that point, right? Like when? You, how old were you when you joined Stet Sonic? When I joined Stet, I was either sixteen or seventeen, probably seventeen. I was still in high school. I think I was in the in the eleventh grade or going exiting the eleventh grade, going into the twelfth. So I was probably like sixteen, seventeen, yeah, somewhere around there. And yeah, it was a long time ago. Wow. Let's just let's. I just like to put this in kind of um, perspective for myself as well, because you know, I when I was talked to uh, Kenny Dope and and Jazzy Jeff about hip-hop at that point in time. And they all talked about how, like, well, the concept of hip-hop was, there was no hip-hop music. They were making music that was called hip-hop based with based off of other influences. Um, so, like, a hip-hop career, was that even a, an idea at that point when you joined Stetsasonic? Or what was the, what was the goal? No, no, uh, not at all. I mean, um, when I joined Stet... I didn't even know what was going on. All I remember is it's like, yo, you're, you know, you're dope DJ. Or maybe the slang was fresh at the time. You're a fresh DJ. We want you down with our group. You know, we, we're going to, um, we're going to eventually, you know, we do all these shows. We're going to make demos. I had no idea what a demo was. Like, I, records to me was Run DMC, Fat Boys, LL Cool J, that Houdini. That was far out of the realm of where I was. I was just happy to DJ. And back then, I honestly thought no one could beat me. I thought I was that good. I was like, it was all about scratching and tricks and, you know, all the other things. And and that was my main concern. Like, I kept my, my focus was very narrow, and it was just DJing. And Stetsasonic took me along for the ride and making records. If it wasn't for them, 
I wouldn't have really thought of making records. Like it just, it was a part of the, being part of the, that group. Now, since Stetsasonic was a band, when it came to making records, were you guys, I mean, how were you, how was that into, integrated with like sampling and, and stuff? Was there any of that or was it drum machines? And how, how, how did that kind of production for Stetsasonic go? Well, we were in the early stages of sampling. So, you know, we combined a little bit of both. We had a uh, live drummer, we had a keyboard player, which is DBC. I was DJing, we had a human uh, beatbox, a human mix machine, which is Wise, which all this sounds very similar to the Roots. So we yeah. were pre-Roots with, with a similar formula. We didn't have a live guitar or anything like that. But, you know, um, and yeah, we were, it was just in, in the very early stages of sampling. It was just really just flying in samples here and there over the drum machine you know, over the keyboard stuff, but it wasn't as hev heavily implicated as later on, you know, until I got, until I started really honing in on my production craft, until I got to De La Soul, that's when the sampling thing really, it all clicked, and I was like, okay, and I was figuring out the technology. Was that technology a lot, a lot um, due to the fact of the limited sampling time, it, you know, when you talk about like those early samplers, like the SP-12, they had what, 10 seconds or something? Oh wow! Yeah, I think that's pretty gracious. I don't even remember. I remember as soon as you press something, it was thick, and you're like, "Oh, that's it!" <laughs> you know, there there was no. I mean, if you wanted to loop, you had to speed everything up to forty five, or and then play in the slowest key, and then the quality is always like. <laughs> so you know, it, it 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 was trying to sample by any means necessary and with any equipment that was available. Um, I think the early sampler, I remember my friend Newkirk had that we used was, that was a professional sampler sampler, it was an Akai 612. And that, and that, and if I believe it's called 612, it had a big giant floppy disk. I'm trying to center myself in camera. <laughs> that was like this big, you know, the crazy joints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually floppy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it had the real giant floppy disk before they got down to the smaller ones. And I used the Digitech pedal like a uh, sampling pedal. I had that, I had a rack mount one too, and uh, everybody remembers the SK-1, the Casio. Oh yeah, that was yeah. my first sampler. Yeah, oh man, see, yeah, old school. And then the SK-5, if you got a little more advanced. So yeah, we, I mean, anything that, that had that technology and we could afford it, we would get it, you know. Actually, I, that just begs the question, the SK-1, the Casio, the keyboard, that, I love that thing so much, like with all my heart. That was like the world's introduction to sampling. Um, on the Daylight record, um, I feel like you guys used the like the lion roar sound a couple times on that. Oh, record. That was SK five. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I and if I remember correctly, that I think Dave pressed the button on that. It was at the end of the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, yeah, we were just wilding out. It was fun times. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We used everything. Yo, I love that. I love when I heard that. I was like instantly like kind of all the things that about music. You know, when you have that kind of. Um, memory just like this feeling of like the discovery of finding that button on the sk on the casio keyboard and just loving it and just pressing it over and over again it was magic. what it, it, it's back in those days anything you made that was sampling was great to you and then you listen back you go oh god that was horrible but you're just so into the tech oh my god this is my voice hello 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 and you go oh and you, you, you're so more into the technology and that it actually works than what you are actually doing creatively yeah man it's so magic though like i mean even i've seen those youtube videos like herbie hancock showing kids the Fairlight back in the day and they're just oh like, yeah like my yeah, that's blown. throw throwback man and, and if you had uh real money in, in a crazy studio you had one of those 
synclaviers, or I guess some people call them synclaviers, but synclavier, yeah, that was like, I forgot how much the thing cost, like a half million dollars or something, 200,000, 100, that was something crazy. And that was some of the highest sampling rate you could get at that time. And yeah, th those were cool. All right, so I, I got to keep it on this daylight, early daylight record, Three Feet High and Rising, just for a second. I, I, I know you probably get asked these old, stuff about this all, all the time, but forgive me, I got to have my moment. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 it's, it's cool. But I, I read, I read like the budget for that record was like $20,000 or something. It was like very, very little. So we, we, where did you record that record? And like with that budget, like what, how did you make that record? Um, You know, it's crazy is listen to it now that's like no money and even then it was no money but when you made one thousand dollars a year twenty thousand dollars you can make do <laughs> you can make anything happen you know and uh our expectations were little and you know we went to a studio called calliope in manhattan on 37th street between i think it was 8th and 7th and 8th avenue and we would get time, you know, you know, that sweet spot time that was cheaper, you know, during the day it was like maybe $45, $55 an hour. But we get like, you know, midnight to eight, you know, for $30 an hour, you know, and try to get the cheap reels of tape. You know, kids don't understand, like, you know, recording on tape was expensive. Like those each reel was like a buck fifty, a buck and a quarter, depending wow. on, you know, the Ampex reels. Um and yet we uh we knew what we was doing like my concept for the group and what i would tell them is we would do as much pre-production before we went in as possible so we would know what we're doing to have the basics and then once we got the basics down everything else was just experimental you know we'd find stuff add things in but it's knowing what you're doing because you you know you want to be efficient because you don't have that much money or that much time um but yeah, it's funny when people talk about that budget, it seems like it gets smaller and smaller every conversation. I get. It's like, yo, I heard you have five thousand dollars. I honestly don't remember. I just remember it was very, it was little, you know. Looking back, you know, but I, 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 I think it, it sometimes like things like that works better. I think when you're limited to what you have, you get the most out of it. That's even with equipment. I realized the more equipment I have, the more I'm like, uh, but when I had that one piece of equipment, I learned how to freak that thing from top to bottom and got really good at it and, and developed the sound. And that's what, even with a budget, like if you're sitting there, usually with a lot of these big budgets, you'll see guys, you know, they'll, they'll do like puffy and just, you know, ah, popping bottles, yeah, talking, you know, <laughs> the girls in the back, ah, you're just wasting time. You're renting stuff you don't need. You know what I'm saying? Your record's not coming out till. 12 months you know 14 months you know so yeah man you know when, when you got limited resources you will find a way to make it happen i was thinking that too just the other day i was like man um you know when i was younger like it was still the same amount of hours in a day it was still 24 hours in a day but i had a day job and i do all these other things but i always made this carved out this time to make beats or whatever you know and it was like man i made a lot of beats in like you know that time between I finished work and I had to go to sleep and then I got to go to work again and I'm like do I need to have a you know a lot of people I think struggle with that like do I need to have a day job and be a musician or do I need to be a full-time creative musician all the time I know this comes up a lot but it's like sometimes it's like actually no I I, I need to do things like I need to have a day job so that I do make beats so it's like really enjoyable when I come home or something you know what I mean like 
It's crazy. No, I, I totally agree. And you got to, and probably when you were making those beats in those early days, you didn't have a, a smartphone. You didn't have a hundred, a two thousand channels on your TV. You, you know, your focus was very minimal. <laughs> it was limited yeah. to just certain things. You know, nobody's calling you randomly on your phone. And you're like this, oh, and you're answering, and then. <laughs> You know, surfing the internet, and next thing you look up, and you're like, wow, that was three hours on the web. So, yeah, time was very useful back then, you know. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I have, I, I was, you know, I was looking through some beats I made. Like, I have, uh, like, uh, some stuff I made on a four track and stuff, stuff I made on a track. And I'm looking, and I dated every one of those tapes with all of the songs, and there would be, like, ten songs in a day. You know, another 10 songs, another, like I was just flipping them. Now, mind you, they weren't all great, but I was really into it and focused and just cranking out stuff, you know? Um, I wish I could do that now. Oh my God, I miss those days. <laughs> I love hearing that though. Like, I love hearing that from you um, specifically. Like, I made all these beats, but not all of them were good. I love that, that honesty because uh, I think. I think a lot of us will have put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make it like a hit or like a banger every time we, we open up and you know a, a fire up the sampler open up the DAW you know and the reality is that's not real right for, for anyone right no I mean I think when you first start like I said you usually just amazed that you got things working and anything that you make you just like oh my god that's so freaking cool and you just but it's not all that great so you just keep making stuff but then when your expectations and others expectations of you increase then you start to focus on, oh, okay, nah, that's not good. It's not going in the right place. And where before I would have just just trudged through it. Ah, yo, listen to that. Oh, put the stare on the end. It's whack. You know what I'm saying? Listen back to it like a few years later, but I was just happy making music. So yeah, with that expectations of wanting to be great and wanting and hearing what's out and comparing yourself to your old self and you know, whoever's hot, you're, you're at least for me, it decreases. But I stopped doing that. I, I went back to just like, yo, I can make whack music and it's okay. And I, I'm more productive and I'm more creative that way. That's really reassuring, man. I, I'm so thank you so much for sharing that because like I do feel that a lot of us do that. All those things that you just mentioned, compare ourselves, you know, listen to other things, say, oh, why is my shit not as good like that? Oh, should I do this? And then, uh, yeah, it's the death of creativity right there, right? Yeah, it's 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 usually you are your own worst enemy, and that's what, and that's what happens, and that's what happens to usually most artists. You know, second, third record. You know, sometimes the second record's fine. Third record gets a little questionable because you're just so focused on like the hit and everybody else and expectations, and you stop experimenting, and you you just and everybody's like, oh, your first album was so much better, and this and that and da da da. And it's it's yeah, it's crazy. It's it's you are your own worst enemy. I love that you're talking about that too. We're talking about um, specifically like trying to make hits, trying to make a number one song. And, and I watched the interview you did with Tracklib um, talking about how me, myself, and I was actually quite calculated, right? You, when you made that song for Three Feet High Rising, you guys were calculating like we need a radio song. And you did that and it actually worked. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, I mean, it was, it was pressured by the label because the album was done. We need a radio song. Me and Mace was really going over using Knee Deep. Um, and we put it together because out of everything we did on the record, aside from you, Say No Go is, is a popular sample. But we were like, oh, man, you can't get more popular than this. Everybody knows this song, and it's a jam, and we loved it. And we're big Parliament Funkadelic fans, at least me and Maceo was, or is, I should say. Um, 
and we just you know it, we stumbled on that like if you ask me to make a pop song now i'm lost because there's things that i think that are great that people go eh. and then there's things i think that nah that's whack and I go, oh my god that's the hit oh. so i don't know what is good anymore but then i kind of we had kind of had an idea what might work you know and we stumbled on it like it, it was it, that wasn't guaranteed I love that though, especially about your production. I like that you're never afraid of using something familiar, but also on the flip side of that, you dig up crazy obscure things, you sample all sorts of crazy stuff, and things I'm still trying to find to this day, you know, like I still got <laughs> stuff on my wish list. And, and it's so cool, like uh, I have a quote from, from Biz, Marquee, RIP, uh, one set of your production style, principles, contribution to hip hop, is that you could use records that weren't James Brown or just breakbeats. And yeah, like, you know, like, You've, you've introduced us all to so many interesting sounds. Um, you know, what, what, was, what was that? Is that coming from the DJ background for, for you, or is that just a reflection of your tastes in general of music? Um, I think it's definitely coming from the DJ background because my, my influences back as a DJ um, was record selection. And the, to me, who had the best record selection that I've ever heard is Africa Bambada. Hmm. He played everything and anything. You can listen to the old tapes now. There's songs on there that they'll play. Yeah, book a bit water, sure, shot, shot. And I'm like, what is that? <clears throat> I'm like, yo, what is that? There's things that I have no clue what, what they are. But the fact that he would dig deep and dig weird, you know, with a whole bunch of songs, that made me like go, okay, it doesn't matter who makes it or the genre. It just matters that it's dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, people try to, you know, put, oh, it has to be this, has to be that. It, it's Music is subjective. It's like, if it's dope, it's dope. You know, I like the Batman theme. You know, say I own it by the Ventures. I got their version. I play it every once in a while. Not in a long time, but it's corny to most, but it's dope to me. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's not James Brown, you know, so it, it, it works. Uh, Batman's, Batman themes are jam. Especially, you're talking yeah. about the Adam West one, right? Yeah, 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 that's a joint for sure, um, that's really cool, hey, I just want to take a quick moment and say thanks to uh, DJ Lowkey for the big raid, uh, the Good Music Twitch family in the house, and they rolled in, and they said, uh, Jay-Z told me, for the dope beat that you seek, the Prince Paul, is that a, is that a quote, I assume? What, what, wait, hold up, what's that again? Jay-Z told me that for the dope beat, you seek the Prince Paul. Um, I don't know about all of that, but <laughs> if uh, if that's somewhere, I'd like to use it and tell everybody. Right? <laughs> yeah, Loki, Loki, jump in the chat. Let me know where that where that comes from. We got to get Paul on that. Um, but yeah, man. Um, early Jay Z lyric. Hey, Jajaris, thank you, thank you for that. Big Jazz and Jay Z. It's that simple. Okay. Yeah, I, I worked I worked with a very young Jay Z. I remember when Jazz brought him in. He's like, Yeah, this is my boy. Jay Z, and I'm like, cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it, you know, everybody's like, oh, you work with Jay Z, but he wasn't Jay Z of today. He was young Jay Z, Jazz's friend. You know what I'm saying? And dope, but the star was still Jazz. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jazz was just nice, and you could tell his influence on Jay Z. You know, and you could you could see their relationship back then. And that's when I'm, that's when I met him, and I worked with them. Yeah, very, very early on. Like I said, it was uh, 
that's when who's that? Oh, that's Jazz's friend. You know, what I'm <laughs> he was he was that guy. You know. Yeah. Hey. Um. So yeah. Back to the production stuff, though. Um. The one thing I always enjoyed about your production is the way you laid a lot of layered a lot of sounds from different genres and made them work together. Um. And we were talking about that. Um. But. I guess on that. Um. You know. Do you have like a music background? Like you, your your ear was always able to kind of match the key of things, and this is obviously before technology would tell you to do that. Um, like how did how did you kind of work with those parameters? Obviously, with the technology at the time, there was no key detection. Did you just trust your ear on that, or how did how did it? Um, yeah, everything is your ear. You know, I mean, for me, musical background. I've collected records since I was five, and, and you know, and my dad was a super duper jazz collector and. You know, it's just listening to music and having siblings that are 10, 12, 16 years older than you. So as a kid, I'm listening to like everything and anything and it, it everything's diverse. And even before toys, it was just listening, 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 you know, sitting with my dad in the living room playing Thelonious Monk or whatever and Coltrane and not understanding it and probably really hating it at that time, but still defining my ear. So by the time it got to production, um, you know, you start learning how to loop something and then you put a horn or whatever on top of it and you go, oh, that, in your head it worked, but when you laid it down, it's not what you heard. And then you realize that's off. It's like somebody singing out a key. And so, you know, you get a, a good engineer and you go, this is wrong. How do we fix this? Oh, you make something called a pitch shifter. Oh, and then you dial it in and you go, oh, and oh, that's the right, that that sounds right. Nothing and oh, that's a G sharp. And that's a, it's like you keep pressing the button until it's right. You go, that's it, you know, and <laughs> that's and that's what it is. And I've, I've relied on that. Now, have I learned a little bit of music theory? Yeah, yes, I have. But I try not to apply it because when I do, it sets rules and boundaries for me. It helps in some ways, you know, when you're trying to make chord progressions, a certain thing, you go, okay, this goes from here to here. But once you start going, ah, and you're thinking about everything that it does, and it, it, you get limited. It, I, I break rules by being stupid. You know, I go, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. You know, hey, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And you just stumble on the stuff, and you go, wow, that's amazing. And then a true musician comes in, it's like, you can't put it uh, <laughs> F sharp with a da 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 da, and you can't. It, I love it. Me. Yeah, you man. I, dude, that, that, that's really, really on point because, yeah, sometimes as someone who plays music, I play <clears> keyboards <throat> and stuff. Um, when I'm not doing samples, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to put things and I'm like, this doesn't have like the feeling that I wanted to, to get out of it. And it just sounds really dry. It's just like, oh, this is just a major chord or something or a minor chord. And it just sounds so lifeless. But when it's sampled or when I'm doing things, like you said, that are outside of those rules, and conventions then it sounds much much more alive much more you know giving and sometimes i don't know how to explain that stuff but i love that you're not afraid you just you just go in trust your ear if it sounds good it works let's go yeah and i'll state this as i stated earlier you are your own worst enemy and and i find that throughout the course of my life and i didn't know this from the beginning but as you progress and you analyze what how you thought and what you did and what you're doing and your depression and everything else you go Music takes you through every type of emotion you'll ever have. Love, hate, you know, whatever, stress, this, that. And then once you start to analyze those things, you start to realize, like, nobody pressured me more than me. 
you know, even when I had friends, I had friends come, oh, that's whack. But <clears throat> when I was young, I didn't listen to them. But then when I got older, I was like, it's whack. And then I'm all, I was like, but I never listened to begin with. So now why am I all sensitive now? And then you, you, it's analyzing, it's knowing yourself. You could really get to know yourself through your music. It's like it's the best therapist you could have. If you stick with it and you're true to it, you will learn. You will save yourself thousands of dollars instead of sitting on the couch. You could just listen to your songs, listen to people's reactions, listen to why you analyze why you did things, what happened as the result, and you'll come out with like, oh, okay, it's you know, I had a rough childhood. You know, I did. I, you know, I didn't eat at one time. You just have to learn little things, some <laughs> Freudian things about yourself. You know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. Yeah. Very. Very true, man. It's crazy. It's interesting hearing like uh, you talk about how you have a lot of when you're younger, you have a lot of confidence and you know what you want. You want almost a lot of direction, and people can't tell you if it's whack. But as you get older and you're doing more collaboration, you, you start listening to those people. Uh, and 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 obviously your relationship with Dela at an early age was a very supportive. You guys, it sounds like you guys were all very supportive of each other, right? Like going into making that record. Yeah, I mean the important thing for me with that record was based upon my experience with Stetsasonic. Stetsasonic to me was Daddy O's group, and mm-hmm. though I did participate and did some production here and there, my hand was limited. So. When I got to De La Soul, I didn't want to have the same rules that I had of Stetson Sonic. You know, for example, if I instead, and I remember this, and you know, Daddy O might not remember, but I remember because it hurt my feelings. I'd go, I'm pushing mute on the board on the board in the studio. I'm like pressing the button and putting it. He slapped my hand off, and I'm like, what's that? You know, saying I'm in a groove. You know, you know the reels are going, and you you know you you're mixing everything by hand. It's no like computerized kids out there now. You know, I'll just delete this bar. It was all, everything is on the fly. You slap my hand away. And I was like, you know what? If whoever I work with, I will not do that. I will allow everybody's input and I will value it. And you know when it's whack is after we record it and listen to it. I won't shoot it down before it's done. And a lot of people, and that goes even with, um, like I said, with music theory and a lot of things, you'll shoot it down before it's done because it doesn't make sense. But you didn't do it, and you didn't hear it, so you don't know until you know. And so that's what I went by with with Daylight. Like we didn't know until we knew. And and you know, listening to a lot of the old reels recently, there was a lot of things that we just you know that kind of fell by the wayside that we just that we just tried but didn't work. But we knew it didn't work. <laughs> you know, so it was no guessing. That's awesome, man. That's awesome to hear that. Um, and it's yeah. It's really thank you so much for sharing these stories. They're so awesome. Um, oh, no, no problem. And and so like I said earlier, um, that fantastic mixtape uh, that you made in, in 1998, uh, Confessions of a Beat Junkie. If you're watching, if anyone who's watching right now wants to listen to that, um, I found the YouTube link and I put it in the Discord. Uh, so you can just type an exclamation Discord in the chat and you'll be able to check it out. Um, it's going to be there forever, of course. Um, definitely. Have a listen. I mean, obviously, you, you may know a lot of principles work, but this is like a lot of his remixes, a lot of his, uh, all of the songs he produced with other artists. Um, it's really one of my favorite mixes, and it's put together so well by DJ Prince Paul as a DJ, which is also oh, super. Oh yeah, good. people don't know I'm a DJ first, first and foremost. <laughs> right, um, but I'd love to just hear a little bit more about some of you know the favorite artists that you ha- you have worked with over the years. Man, I've worked with a lot of people. I don't even know if there are favorites per se. Um, I mean, people obviously know, you know, the Big Daddy Kanes and Queen Latifahs and Slick Rick. Slick Rick and Karis One to me, I think, were probably the most intriguing. 
um, because of their strong personalities in different ways. Like Karis, one confidence comes in, books and books of rhymes. Let's see if this rhyme fits one here. Uh, I got another rhyme. I got, you know, and, you know, turn the headphones louder. The headphone, we blew the headphone at one time. Like, he just comes in like, I am the nicest in the world. Slick Rick, on a subtle way, will go, I am the nicest in the world, but just real relaxed. I remember he kicked out his book, sat on a stool, and rhymed. Like, it was like, like he was like, like a Las Vegas singer or something, like an old gentleman. You know what I'm saying? He was nice and flawless i'm like yo that's amazing you know um obviously there's daylight there's working with chris rock with the comedians that's a whole lot of fun um vernon reed um bernie warrell which i learned a lot from you know it's a lot of times i would take projects some people you know look at money as first and foremost back in the days i used to take things because i to me it was like free college I get paid for it, but there's so much I can learn from this person. Like Bernie Warrell, for example. You know, um, man, I'm such a big fan of Parliament Funkadelic. This is the guy. He arranged everything, worked with the talking heads. He's that dude. I would pay him to work with him. But for me to be in that position, I'm like, yo, they could have paid me next to nothing. It's like it, that type of knowledge is priceless. And so there are tons of people I work with, old and young. Cause it's not, it doesn't have to be somebody who's just experienced. There's a lot of kids. Like my son, for example, he's, um, it's funny, he's not a kid. He's 30 now. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> DJ, you know, DJ he DJs, for real, right? Yeah. He DJs yeah. for little Uzi. And so, you know, the stuff that he brings to the table and what he listens to and how he hears music and, you know, the stuff that, you know, his friends make and people that and it's like, wow. It's like, well, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Okay. I hear this. Okay. This is designed for this. So there's always something to learn. You know, and uh, if as long as you stay open minded, I think it you'll you'll continue to be creative. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, I really just want to just give a quick shout out DJ P for real. We uh we follow him too, and uh, what? Yeah, yeah he's crazy. <laughs> he's crazy, man. And he's so he's DJing for Little Uzi Vert. Is is he on tour right now? Um, I I don't think he's on tour now, but he's doing a bunch of spot dates. I think they're going to go on tour probably at some point. Um, yeah, because I think, you know, everything coming up off the pandemic, you know, things are starting to really roll back and get together. So, but yeah, he's out there, man. And and I didn't expect him to do this. I didn't know he was going to do it. Um, and I'm happy for him. And, you know, it, it, you know, little people, not too many people may not know this but i was a single dad for many years and i raised him as a little boy and me taking him to the studio but like this when i remember i was making uh god was it it was probably de la soul's dead i remember having the s950 and um and him like this in one arm holding him as a baby and pressing buttons and trying to truncate and do all this other stuff and you know so he's been, he's heard everything. He's been in the studio. I took him on the road with me, you know. So I guess it would make sense for him to be doing what he's doing. But I really, in my head, thought he would just have a nice, regular job, <laughs> you know, be a good boy, you know. Just, this music stuff is, is, is dangerous. <laughs> hey, he's, well, he's, he's done well. 
Yeah, yeah, he's doing really well. And and uh, I mean, hey, my dad's a, a radio DJ, and, and I turned out a DJ. So oh, same, see, same there it goes, man. <laughs> see, it's in the blood. It's the music thing, man. You can't shake it, especially. Yeah. man, that's crazy. He was in the session for De La Soul is Dead. Did he get like? A- oh man, he. I took him. No, 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 it wasn't that. It was uh, Balloon Wine State. Oh. Um, but yeah, when when they came by the house, I remember, and they probably not might not remember, but I remember. It's like, hey. Well, you know, you want to put your baby down? You want to do it? It's like, no, 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 he's okay. He's good. You know, so they had one arm. And, uh, yeah, man, that was my buddy, man. I took him everywhere. Same with my daughter. You know, it's, it's um, she's not into it as much as we are. But what she hears and the music she likes, I've learned a lot from. Like, I, it, you know, it, it's amazing what you, what you learn. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how I got into that subject. <laughs> no, it's cool. I, I, well, I was, when I was, you know, like kind of um, researching again for this. This I came across it. And I was like, yeah, that's right. P for real. DJ, DJ, uh, he DJs for Lil Uzi Vert. And then I also found out that you guys made a mixtape together. Uh, <coughs> yeah, we did one called um, like Father Like Son for Father's Day. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, that was I forgot was I think it was for Cornerstone. That was many, many, many years ago. Yeah, yeah, I, we and you know we did this project called Negroes on Ice years ago. We did we did a lot of things, man. Um, you know, his first DJ gig, like his major DJ gig, was opening up for the for the genius at Brooklyn Bowl. Was it Brooklyn? Not Brooklyn Bowl. What was it? What, what's the other Brooklyn place? Ah, Brooklyn Bowl. Ah, and they just closed it too. It was the not spot Webster Hall. No. Huh? No Webster Hall. Nah. Not Brooklyn. No. Nah, it wasn't Webster Hall. Oh, I forgot the name of the place. They just closed it down. But yeah, that was his first gig. Wow. And I knew he was going to fail. I was like, you're not ready for this. And I'm like all on him. And you know what messed it up is he got on there. And I was like, ah, he was playing songs I would have never thought of playing. And like he what? killed it. And he killed it. And I was just like, you didn't pay your dues. This is not right. You just can't go. And so I was thinking he's going to be, you know, just he's not going to understand the reality of making music and, you know, struggling and. He skipped a lot of things, you know what I'm saying? He, he didn't carry no crates. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Straight to Serato, right? Yeah, man, he went poo-poo. <laughs> but, I mean, if he's in sessions doing Balloon Mind, doing, with you with doing Balloon Mind stage, surely that's kind of seeped in. Obviously, having you as a dad is obviously, a, you know, an influence on him, surely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, de- I mean definitely. Like, he's, yeah, he's, he's seen it all. You know, I think what's interesting for him and not to blow him up too much is that his ear is so different from a lot of his peers and his friends. And, his, you know, a lot of friends come over because he would go, yeah, man, you know, um, the chaotic record and that. And they'll have no idea what half the artists are. Black Moon, they don't know anything about that. You know what I'm saying? So he's just like his ear is really advanced. Though when he DJs now, he plays everything that's trappy under the sun. <laughs> but, you know, he knows all that other stuff. You know, he plays that in his car. So it's just, it's funny. Just just seeing the reaction of his friends, they're like, what's that, you know? They're like, oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, but but let's just talk about you as a DJ as well. Like, um, just, to, just shortcuts in the chat. So I got, first of all, I want to give a big shout out to Shortcut, the OG hey, legend. Um, but he said uh, DJ Prince Paul was in the New Music Seminar DJ Battle. I don't know what year that is. Woo! <laughs> I think it was like 86, 85, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. I actually, 
made it to the semifinal. I had beat the world champion from the previous year. And I'm telling you, the only reason why I didn't get to the finals is because, and, and oh man, I, this, this story would actually take the bulk of this whole thing, so I'm not going to get all into detail, was because Newmark had sponsored the, the DJ set. And so the first day, it was everybody had to spin on these Newmark turntables or something. And then after, they realized the DJs couldn't spin on that well. And they said, everybody bring your own set, but two DJs bring your own set. So I was spinning on somebody else's set, and they were spinning on their own set. Oh. So they knew, you know, they know the mix. They know, like, everything. So I was, I had this part where I was drop needling rock in the pocket. Bing, bing, and but I couldn't get because it wasn't my needle. So there's a certain little groove you catch, and it was off. And I gave up. I gave up in the middle of the round. And at the end of the day, I was battling Cutmaster DC. At the end of the day, they said, "I think I lost by a few points." I remember Africa Islam, one of the judges, was like, "Why did you give up?" You know what I'm saying? He's like. If I would have just stuck with what I stuck with and wasn't just so frustrated, there was a good chance I could have made it. And I would have battled Jazzy Jeff and lost. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> I, I would have clearly lost. You know what I'm saying? But still. Oh, I, got more, I got more stories about that, but I will leave that alone. Oh, man. I'd love to hear that one of these days. Um, maybe we'll do a part two at some point. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's crazy, though. Shout out Jazzy Jeff, though, man. I mean, that's, yeah, definitely the God. Oh, he was phenomenal. He was doing stuff. I was like, oh, my God. Because you got to keep in mind, like, back then, no one could beat me. I'm nice. I'm the best in the world. Like, I'm going around, you know, battling people, slaying them. You know what I'm saying? This is the only time you ever see me brag about anything. Because <laughs> I was that nice in my head until I saw Jazzy Jeff. Damn. Everybody else was like, yeah, yeah, yeah they were all right. You know what I'm saying? You know, I beat the guy from last year. He was really good, but I beat him. I'm like, yeah, it's easy breezy. Jazzy Jeff made me really consider, like, I'm better as a producer than a DJ. Because in my head, I was like, if I can't be the best, and this is wrong to do, I know. If I can't be the best, I'm not playing. If I can't win the game, I'm not playing. And that's what that's how I felt. After I saw that, I was like, that's too much work to put in. Wow. I'm, production is where it's at. So in some weird way, he kind of made me focus more on production, you know, because I couldn't be the best, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Much love, Jazzy Jeff, but also kind of kind of thank you because we get this amazing principal like, production. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't be the best. <laughs> That's amazing. Have you, told, have you told Jeff that story before? Maybe in not that detail, you know? He, he knows, man, this, oh, let, let's leave these stories alone. Right, right, let's, okay. let's go to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i guess just back to your son playing a lot of like um modern modern artists like you said he plays a lot of trap stuff um are there any new rappers singers or artists that like you'd like to produce for or you're just interested in you know there's not to be honest i don't listen to too many like i know little singles here and there stuff that he plays i'm not saying little like to belittle them but you know i i'm just saying in reference to like but you know what I really like is a lot of the artists that come out of Chicago. It's that sound that they have, like um, what, what's like No Name, like that whole group. What's his name? Saba oh, yeah, yeah. and all those other people out. Oh, their production and the sound to me is incredible. 
You know what I'm saying? And I mean, and there's so many producers out now, I can't name them. It's like actors and actresses. Like I'll watch shows and they go, oh, and I'm just making his name. Margaret Sawyer. She just won a donut. I'm like, who's that? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so far removed now. I thought I'd never be that way. I thought I'd always be him. Like, I'm always going to be cool, but it just, time just passed me. So a lot of the new new artists, I honestly say I don't know. Do I? And I, a lot of times I don't listen for them unless stuff is given to me. Yeah. Or yeah. it's played for me. Because I mean, it's too much. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot on, especially Spotify and, and streaming services, title, etc. There's so much that comes out on a day to day basis. But that's really dope to hear that you really, really like No Name and Saba and the, and the Chicago crew. Cause oh, what? They are so dope. dope. Yeah, super dope. You know. And there's like a whole new wave of, of uh, you know, rappers now that really would sound incredible over principal productions, in my opinion. You know, like Conway and West Side Gun and all these people. Like, Man, okay, I'm familiar with Conway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So like, yeah. they're already kind of rapping on beats that sound like your stuff. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we got to get that. We, I'm praying. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fingers crossed that happens. Hey, I just need a, a, a an introduction. You know, and and an introduction and some what, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, inspiration. You know what I'm saying? Because it, it's it's funny. Like nowadays, I still make music. I still like making music, but I don't, and I had to come to grips with this. I don't feel the way same way I felt. I don't be like, ah, and this stuff I'll make like recently. I was like, oh my God, this is great. This is really good. And I'm thinking it's great. And I, I, I played some stuff and I thought it was dope. And I played some stuff for Dan, the automator. And he was like, eh. oh, shit. <laughs> but I didn't, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I didn't go by that though. I was like, it's still dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it. It, it won't be on a handsome boy record, but you know. Yeah, shout out handsome. Boy. I got a question about handsome boy. Let's go. I'm gonna pause on that and just jump into so that the other things that um the other just to rewind, just keep on the topic we're on right now. Um, because you know, current rap artist that I'd really love to hear you rap uh, produce for, Tyler the Creator. He already sampled you um off the Gravediggers record, uh, Two Cups of Blood. He did it, used it for Lumberjack. Um. You know, obviously know that. You <laughs> must yeah. have paid you for that, right? Well, you know, you know what's crazy is I was a Tyler fan since 2009, 2010. Since the first Odd Future, the Earl Sweatshirt first record. I was championing Tyler, the creator, since I was like, oh my God, Earl, especially Earl Sweatshirt. He was just so way beyond his time and his years and rhyming. And their whole clique, I was like, everything they stood for. Until one day I, I was online, he was like, F Grave Diggers. I don't even know who they are because everybody's like, yo, just sound like the Grave Diggers. I'm like, forget Tyler the Creator. He's like, <laughs> I'm, I was still a fan, but I was like, I felt kind of hurt. I was like, why is he trying to diss me? I love him. <laughs> and it just so happened as time went on, he sampled a Grave Digger record. And, <laughs> and I remember Rizza just called me and he's like, yo, Two cups of blood, you know, you got the, the, the tracks and da da da. I'm like, why? He's like, Tyler Creator wants to use it. So he used the version that I did because I remade it. You know what's weird is I was going to do that song at the same time with the Flatbush Zombies and Rizzo. No shit. I wanted to redo it and so I had retracted. So I'd retract it with the with the with the new eight oh eight drums and everything behind it. It was tracked out. I don't know, for some reason it just never happened. And so when RZA asked for it, 
I already had it tracked out on Pro Tools and I gave it to Tyler and he used the version that I use that I made for the only thing he had in was the extra keys in it, but yeah, the beat underneath all of that that was uh redone. Wow, dude. Well, first of all, Flatbush Zombies principle would be crazy. But that is what what a crazy circumstance. I had that's a crazy story, dude. It's the first time told here. Hey, we got an exclusive. (laughs) Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, nobody, you know, yeah, that was uh but it was just weird the time because you gotta understand we made that record with ninety four, ninety three, somewhere around there. And it just sat dormant and then all of a sudden I come with this bright idea, yo. Flapper Zombies, Rizza, it was supposed to be Flapper Zombies, Grave Diggers, but then it ended up Flapper Zombies, Rizza, and I was like, yo, let's redo Two Cups of Blood. Oh, would all of them be crazy, and so I'm retracking it, and I presented it, sent it out, said, yo, let's redo this, and then next thing you know, Tyler Creator says, I want to use Two Cups of Blood. I'm like, wow, I have it all set. <laughs> yo, here you go. <laughs> you know, and then Lumberjack comes out, and I'm like, wow, this is great. It and is then great. he gave me a, a shout out on some show, but reluctantly, I think it was like, it wasn't Ebro, it was one of those things. They're like, yeah, yeah, Prince Paul. He's like, yeah, yeah, Prince Paul, yeah, yeah. No, I was like, Prince Paul's <laughs> And he went to the next thing. I was like, oh, man, I love him, but he don't love me. It's like, it's like a lot of the relationships I've been in my life, you know. Oh, and women, I love them, but they want to leave me. Like, what's, what's up with that? Yeah, oh, know? my gosh. But, yo, <laughs> man, one of my favorite albums of yours is Grave Digger six feet, six feet Deep. I listen to that on repeat for ages and oh, thank I you. think it's just such, it's such a crazy record too because like I don't even know how a record like that would even come out this day, to this day you know like you, you formed that that group with Riza and, and Fruquan who's also in Stead to Sonic that is like I mean just that is crazy I mean that record is so good too like I oh, listen to yeah. it and it still stands up to this day and don't forget Poetic rest in peace Poetic yeah rest we um poetic. we uh yeah that was my brainchild that was from being depressed. I made that record. All the music came out dark, and I put the group together with guys who I thought were kind of depressed and upset, like I was. And we made this dark record. Like I literally made that record in my basement with the lights off. All those beats were made in the dark. You know, I was like, Ugh. I was like all sad and upset. They hate me. I'll show them. And I had all this dark music and then when I played it for them and because of their extenuating circumstances, they were feeling what I was feeling. And so it just worked out. It was a time and place that can't be recreated. And I really, I produced that record. Like I sat down, I really thought of every nook and cranny, every single turn, every twist. Like I really tried to arrange and make that record a certain way. And it came out and at the, when it came out, that's when Biggie and, and uh, Craig Mack and everybody came out, and that sound that I was doing was gone because everybody was on to the next thing. You know, I, I initially made that in '92, in '91, '92. Wow. Now, if that record would have came out during that time, I think it would have been a, a huge, huge hit. It's just that by the time that we was able to get the record deal and get all the other stuff, it came out years later, and music was shifting. Great record. I just think the timing was just a little off. I, I heard also on Wikipedia that you that Easy E wanted to sign that record to Ruthless Records. Um, yeah, you know it's funny. I've, I haven't even read my Wikipedia because every time I read it, a lot of things are wrong on it. But <laughs> okay. yeah, that that is, that is true. Like um, I sent the the um, I sent the demo to um, 
to Ruthless to Easy, and I, I flew out to L.A. to meet him. And I remember going in his office. He's like, yeah, man. And he had the tape in his hand. I like this grave digger thing, and I want to sign it. You know, and, you know, I'm talking to him. He, and at that time, he had the videotape of, I don't know if you ever see that NWA videotape. It was a VHS. It was it was very limited. But I was like, yo, can I get that? He's like, yeah, yeah, take it. You know, it has nothing to do with the story. But he's like, talk to Jerry. He'll make the, um Jerry Heller, he'll make the um contract. Man, I remember getting, I, I, I must have that contract somewhere. I remember getting the contract and looking at it and going, yeah. <laughs> it was it was really put like this i was trying to get a deal for almost a year and i wouldn't sign that contract you know I, it, 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 you know what i'm saying usually it, desperation will make you say i want to get this record out especially easy and ruthless because it would have fit and all the mm -hmm. you know but i was like and it's not by any means necessary you know what i'm saying like i i it was just it was just wasn't a good deal and I wanted to sign with Easy. Like I wanted to, like because I was such a big fan, and a lot of that NWA stuff, um, especially Niggas Life album, was a big influence on me making that record. Which that was an influence from the Bomb Squad, but you know we won't talk about the loops of inspiration. But yeah, and it would it would have fit right, but it you know didn't happen. I gotta say though about that record and about a lot of your records. Grave Diggers, Handsome Boy, Modeling School, Prince of My Thieves, they're so conceptually rich. Like, a lot of people, especially producers, will try and make hot songs or like hot beats or hot tracks. But you really make full conceptual albums that have like multiple layers throughout the whole thing. Like, Grave Diggers is a perfect example, and it's something that had a huge influence on me. How you, okay, the name, Grave Diggers, the mood, Grave Diggers, the raps, Grave Diggers. The personalities, the, the the subject matters. There's so many layers that were like visually so appealing. Meant you know, like you know, it all worked in your in your brain. Like I think that's almost like kind of a a, a, a trademark Prince Paul thing. Would would you agree? Is that something that you kind of intentionally do? I think it's. I don't think it's intentional as as much as I can focus on one big idea. Like I'm a. I would say a marketing guy, but <laughs> yeah. I see a big, I see a bigger picture, you know, and maybe part of it is listening to a lot of kids records when I was little, a lot of, you know, stories and stuff like that. But, and a lot of it's Parliament Funkadelic because those records were themed, True. you know, it's like Motor Booty Affair, they went down into the water and then you go, you know, um, the Funkadelic versus Procedural Syndrome, they went into space and that was Mothership Connection too. So it's so many things that... I grew up on and those records even though every record didn't stick by that theme overall it had a vibe to it and so i like to make records like that though that's not popular anymore because i don't think people have the attention span to kind of go from one record to the next record and see how they tie in together and that might might be the reason why i haven't made a record in a while you know i mean i can make singles but to me the fun is making those thematic and conceptual records but if I don't want to put all that work, if I don't think there's a, an audience for it, like I can make it for myself, but you know, oh man, I, I, I can't see myself going. And then it's like, wow, yeah, two people downloaded it in the world over the last year. And I'm like, ah, like I whatever, I can't even give it away. Nobody will pay attention to it. You know, they skip, 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 skip. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's a, 
uh, a struggle for for a lot of people putting music out because of I guess the streaming the nature of streaming is more short form you know like a single uh, but you know a lot of the biggest artists are doing very conceptual albums Kendrick Lamar I mean even Tyler's album you know where he sampled you is is also a conceptual mixtape style album and you know I, I mean I personally as a music lover and fan and I know a lot of people in the chat would probably agree is like we really want that, you know, it's like, it's that extra layer of like uh, complexity or just another kind of, you know, level of art and expression that is the things that I love so much about music. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled to be having you on the podcast is like, yeah, you're one of the standout producers in my books of, the, of, of somebody who's really kind of, you know, pushed music forward in that way. And, and especially rap music, you know, hip hop music, it's like, just so, it's so impressive. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be... No, no, no. <laughs> hey, come on. Who, who would stop someone from saying something nice, you know, about them, you know? Like, no, 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 you make me... No, I mean, it, I w it, maybe if I had an ego about the stuff I've done and, you know, if, if I had an ego about the stuff I've done, my Instagram and social media would be filled with every accolade I've made. These things feel like, I didn't even know you did that. Because I'm like, eh, you know, that's cool, it's fun, it's the next thing, it's the next thing. But I think, for me, I just, I always looked at it and I probably didn't realize it until very recent, but my whole career, I was like, anybody could do what I do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never took it as a skill set or like, yo, I'm that great or, you know, I'm like, the only difference to me is I just took a chance, but I never saw it as something like that. It's like, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm so fly and I'm, I'm thinking like this and this happened. A lot of it to me is like, everybody is just usually one lane, scared, um, I want people to like me, so I'm gonna make this type of music or I'm gonna copy this person, do this. And I just dare to go left all the time. And I'm like, if people went left more, then, you know, they would probably do what I do. You know what I'm saying? So it's not a big deal. Yeah. I, I think, though, the thing is, like, you, all the things you're talking about, the, the love that you have for music is really what translates to at least at least the fans like myself and, and I guess the people in this chat. You know, it's like, we, we really love music. You know, we really want that yeah. extra stuff, you know, so... It's the bottom it. line. Yeah. And that, I mean, not to cut you off, but that, to me, that's always the bottom line. It's... Loving music, it, it, this is how I think about it, and it's going to sound cheesy, but it's it's out of all honesty. I want to give music back what it gave to me, and, mm -hmm. and I could probably never do that. So I try to, I respect it and give it justice. I don't try to extract from it. Um, I remember there was one artist, I'm not going to say his name, I was on tour, I was over in Europe, and somebody said, yeah, we just did an interview with such and such, and he was like, I don't care about hip hop, I just, I just get money, I get paid, and I just get whatever. And to me, that's that's just disrespecting, not just hip hop, but it's just disrespecting music. I mean, man, this music got my mom a house. It took care of, raised by all my kids. I met so many friends and, you know, it's done so much for me that why would I disrespect it and not take the time to give it anything quality back? Not everything's gonna be great. You know, I've made some duds, you know, I'll be first to admit that, listen back, but it, that wasn't my intention when I made it. You know what I'm saying? You know, so, there's a respect and i think if people respected the music more they would put more into it instead of trying to extract from it you know and try to like i gotta get paid i gotta get this i want you know i need pictures for the gram i want you know to do my TikTok and you know mouth a few albums you know somebody's words and you know instead of look at me they would just really go yo this thing is precious i have to take care of it. it's like a baby you know you're not just gonna throw it to the side you gotta nurture it take care of it raise it um, and 
and yes, it sounds cheesy, but that's how I feel. It's like if you, it's the respect you got. You got to respect the music, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, the relationships you have had with music, you know, it's great to see that, you know, like you said earlier, you know, your your friends still friends with the people that you started out your career with, and it's cool to even like what we're talking about, Gravediggers. You know, you work with Fuquan on that project, like so many of your relationships, you've really kept them going. It's obviously, it seems like you have a lot of respect for the people that you work with as well. Uh, and that's, that's tough in the music industry, right? Like, it's hard sometimes to maintain relationships with ego, money, you know, expectations and things like that, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say all those people like me, but I would say <laughs> that, you know, I like them, you know, you, you know, you know, they, no, I, I, I'm, I'm cool with everybody. You know, it, it, if you don't like me, usually there's something wrong with you. And I, and I, and I sincerely feel that way. Like, I, I, there's no reason not to to really hate on me. And usually when people don't like me, it's because they can't make me do something I don't want to do. Mm. Oh, Paul, he's difficult. I can't jerk him. I cannot pay him to do this gig. <laughs> oh, he's difficult to work with. I don't like him. People usually don't like you, especially in this business, when they can't take advantage of you. Then you become difficult. Oh, he's difficult. Oh, 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 you know, I, I would like to get a aisle seat. Oh, he's asking for aisle seat in the, for the plane. Oh, he's asking for too much. You know, can, can I at least get per diem for lunch? Oh, he wants per diem. Just the basic things to be show that you respect me. And then they, oh, he's difficult. Those, those people don't like me. Hey, excuse me. Can we look at my royalty statement and figure out why I owe all this money when I know I didn't charge up this money? Oh, Oh, he's getting a lawyer. Oh, he's difficult. <laughs> it's true. How many people probably don't like you, and usually the reason why is because they can't take advantage of you? Oh, yeah. No, no, I, I think everyone in the chat agrees as well. Everyone's like, oh, absolutely. Holy shit, so factual. It's like, yeah, it's all – everyone knows, man. This is the real, the real yeah. deal. You know? So that's what I'm saying. If Usually if you don't like me, there's something wrong with you. It's because, like I said, and, and it's – it's almost like relationships like that too, male female relationships. A lot of a lot of probably, you know, my situations is like you won't go to the cotillion with me? I hate Paul. He's horrible. But he's da 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 you won't But I love that, you know, ultimately it comes down to if you have self respect, you, you have standards that yeah, you you expect a certain level of, of yeah, decency, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's one oh one. I mean I've done a lot of things and that I didn't want to do and then you sit there and you're just freaking miserable and now I'm stuck at this thing I said yes to and I don't now I'm old I'm it's easy for me going nah, I'm good you know <laughs> people just get mad at me like what you won't do it you won't you know march 40 blocks for save hip-hop and I'm like I, I can't do that man <laughs> you don't love hip-hop Paul's difficult he's a hip-hop hater <laughs> you know it's okay to say no Absolutely. That's actually a really good point. I, I'm really, it's great to hear you say that. Um, it's okay to say no. It's okay to turn down the things that you don't want to do if they don't, if they don't, you know, do it for you for whatever reason. Uh, oh man. Yeah. I mean, I've turned down lots of opportunities and lots of money. I mean, just based upon it wasn't right for me. You know what I'm saying? And, and God bless my mom who's passed on, but she always said there's no uh, dollar amount for peace of mind. And there's a lot of things I had to really sit down like, how much they're paying me? But then I knew it would be stressful. I wouldn't have fun. I'd be, you know, it takes years off your life. You know, I'd rather, I'll still eat. The lights still stay on, you know, just I won't have those 
staggered rims on the car that I went by. I'm thinking about rims, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but the quote is, there's no price for peace of mind. That's what your mom said? Yeah, there's, there's no price for peace of mind. And, and you know, and I, and I would say, I, well, I'm not even, I was about to say something that I probably would regret, but there's a lot of projects that I didn't do based on that. And a lot of them is, you know, to maintain friendships and to maintain certain things at a given time. But, you know, it, it's, um, yeah. And, and, I, and I survived. It's okay. You know, it's, it's okay. And, uh, and I always kind of made the records I want to make uh, based on that. Yeah, man. I mean, we really appreciate your artistic integrity, man. That's one of the things that really shines through in your, in your music as well. Um, Thanks, Sounded cheesy on here. The more I'm talking, I sound all like, no. yeah, but you don't have to cross at the green and in between and make sure you <laughs> eat your vegetables. And and I don't want to come off like that because that's not me, you know, no, but it's, it's, it's just I have certain standards and guidelines I live by, whether you like me or hate me, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's, it's, I'm, you know. No, we love it. This is really valuable. I really appreciate, you know, the honesty. I, I mean, honestly, like, this is the great thing about the conversation that we have here. The, you know, the, the, the sharing is, is, yeah, you're a very real person. I love that. We are getting short on time, so I'm trying, I want to try and rip through a couple things. Okay. Because, um, I, I, you know, I understand you're probably a pretty busy guy. Um, but I've always thought about a, another producer uh, that I've always thought has taken a lot or seems to be a lot in, in, um, of similarities with, with, with you is Madlib. Um, and the way, you know, the kind of way that you choose samples and, and make skits and have conceptual albums. Um, and there's also a lot of fun and humor in your productions. Um, what, what do you think of Madlib? Are you a fan? Oh, I always thought Madlib was dope. I met him years ago. Actually, I was over in Europe. I forgot where it was at. It was the first time I met him. Um, he, he was with Wolf. He was with Peanut Butter Wolf and Jay Dilla. And actually, that's when I actually met both of them. Wow. And, um, yeah, I was like, wow, you know, I've always been a fan of his work. We sat, we chatted a few times. I tried to, I was like, yo, at one point I was like, yo, let's do a record together. And he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then he just never got back to me. So I, you know, I was like, I'm hitting, I'm feeling like a sucker. I'm texting him, yo, nothing. I'm like, all right, you know, he's a, he's a weirdo like me and I get it, you know, but I, so I put that to bed, you know, I was like, yo, that'd be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, he's dope. I mean, there's so many dope guys that are in that, to me, in that genre. But he, he's definitely the the records he uses, like his selection is just out of this world. And there's some things that he's chopped up that I'm like, how, how did he do that? Anytime I listen to a producer, I go, and I can't figure out how it's done, and it's really good, I they get my respect. Because usually I can listen to a record, eh, this, that. I can tell you the arrangement. Okay, bit, And then all of a sudden the horn comes like, yeah, I told you. You know, da, da, da. But when it's something, I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? Oh, my God. This girl, I, would, I would have never thought of that. You know? Then that, to me, is brilliant. And he does that. He does a lot of those, like, whoa. You know? Sneaks up on you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, like, speaking of humor, you know, you've obviously worked with Chris Rock and, and um, one of my personal favorites, Pootie Tang. Uh, I saw that you uploaded <laughs> the song you did with Pootie Tang, um, with also featuring Missy Elliott. Yeah, me and uh, Newkirk, my good friend who I've known since I was 14, we worked on that. Yeah, we are working. See, it's things like that. Like, I don't, that I, if I take my time and really go my career, I could flood my social media with just 
random, you know, hip hop, you know, uh, facts. Yeah, I work with Missy Elliott. Like, I've never put that on my bio. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's never, it, you know, and that's a great beat. And that's nothing against Missy, but it's just like, it's just one of those things you kind of do. And she was, it's funny, like, working with her from what I can remember was, I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to talk to her. I have this music and instead of that, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I got it. <laughs> she was like, I need no direction from you. I got this. And she's she a good right. producer. She's a great producer yeah. too, right? I couldn't argue with her. I just sat down and shut up. You know, even though I, you know, you figure me being her senior and having years with her, I would get like a little bit of like, oh, it's Paul. It was like, yeah, whatever. You sit in the other room. <laughs> I'll tell you when it's done, and I and I couldn't be mad because it was dope. I was like, yo, you know, I might have messed it up. I was feeling insecure. I was like, man, if I had my hand in it a little more, you know, I mean, when I'm saying that, I mean like vocal arrangements and vocals and stuff, not the production of music itself. Yeah, actually, hey, we got another one about humor. Um, the someone from Swallow has just added, um, talking about your album, The Dicks. Um, oh, The Dicks. Yeah. yeah, I love the Dicks album. It's a funny one. Um, <laughs> I don't know exactly what, what I want to ask you about it other than I just really like that record. Um, oh, yeah, that um, we put that on uh, Mr. Len's label, Dummy Smacks. Len was like, yeah, man, you know, do whatever record. And I was like, all right, yeah, this will be fun. Get my friends together. We'll just do something silly. And I wanted to make an album. Uh, I wanted to make the group called The Dicks because, and you almost said it, but you, you covered yourself. Because like, I love the Dicks album. And when people say I love the dicks, and, and and I did that specifically for that, so I could just chuckle every time. Oh, boy, that's great! But um, you covered yourself. You said out, so you know. I, I, I... It's all good. Um, but you also worked with SpongeBob SquarePants, and I actually have a SpongeBob emote. I'm a big fan. Um, which is also fire. Um, would you wow, with... SpongeBob? Yeah. Would yeah. you want to work with SpongeBob again? Uh, yeah, that was a great opportunity, you know. Uh, that's when SpongeBob, I don't know how many people out there watch, watch SpongeBob, but those, that's when SpongeBob, the, the writing was incredible. It was very risque. It was just all over the place. Nowadays, like, I haven't watched it much, but my daughter told me, like, they just edited out a lot of things and made it a little more friendly. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no showing SpongeBob's butt anymore and stuff. They cut all that out. Okay. Yeah. Not that I want to see his butt, but, you know, it's part of the jokes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's Rick and Morty. It's all that good, good thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, Sp SpongeBob. There's actually um, on YouTube. I'll, I'll have to pull this, put this in the um, in the Discord or something. But there's actually um, a SpongeBob YouTube where it's uh, SpongeBob weed pants, and it's all about um, SpongeBob going to buy weed and getting stoned with his friends. <laughs> yeah, I got to see that. That's actually yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> I'll send you the link, man. It's really good. Uh, but um. Anyways, I, uh, how are we doing for time? How are you doing for time, Paul? Yeah, um, I got like another 10 minutes and then I got okay. to school you on out, unfortunately. Okay, well, um, just real quick, talk quickly about uh, your project with Dan, the automator, Handsome Boy Modeling School. Um, it's another one of my favorite records. In fact, you signed that record for me and you said, two cut corners, stay out of jail, principal. That is right, because <laughs> you can't be, I guess you can be handsome in jail, depending you know you um, don't want to be yeah yeah those, those are good um good advice to live by yeah dan automator yeah um years back when he did um just quickly when he did dr octagon which is a phenomenal album um i did psychoanalysis and we got on the phone uh and we 
we got on the phone because we had a mutual friend, a friend, the guy who put out um, psychoanalysis, his name is uh, Skiz, and he was uh, interviewing um, Danny Odermate. He's like, yeah, I got Danny Odermate on the phone. He, you know, he says he likes your work and da da da. I was like, oh, I love Dr. Octagon. So we got on the phone, and then I was like, yeah, man, you used uh, Chris Elliott. You know, and then he was like, "Yeah," and then we, and then that was our bonding moment. That's when we geeked out, ha ha ha, get a life, and da da da. We're talking about the episodes, and it was beyond hip hop. And then the Handsome Boy Model School episode came up, and then jokingly we was like, "Yeah, we should make a band called Handsome Boy Model School." Ha 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 ha. And one day he calls me up. He's at Tommy Boy. He's like, "Yo, Paul, they want to sign Handsome Boy Model School." I'm like, "What?" Because it was a joke. And somehow, because, you know, Dan was the hot thing at the time, I guess they wanted to jump on the Dan train. And I was all aboard. I was like, what? <laughs> you sold that? We don't even have a record. It's just a stupid idea that we just had a conversation. And so we had to make it up. Wow. And so we so we took the, the, the you know, kind of just applied the concept of Handsome Boy Marlin School. And if you notice on the first album, I have a mustache on. And the only reason why I put the mustache, I was like, at some point, I was like, "Oh my God, this is really silly. I got, I got to reinvent myself. I, I, I've got to hide myself as much as I can." So I put the mustache on and all the stuff and the glasses, and and it, it became a look after that. Then Dan put on the mustache a little later, and you know, who would have thought? You know, it was very strange, and it was fun. It's a fun record. Like that record, the first, especially the first one, was just so carefree. It was just like, "Yeah, that's cool. That's handsome. That's handsome." Had two MP, uh, NPCs, head-to-head, banging away at Dan's house. What do you think of this? Yeah, give me the disc. Hand him the disc, put it in. Yeah, what do you think of this? That's handsome. And then we had all these songs, and then we kind of just said, okay, these are the ones we're going to use. These are the artists. And it was just a very weird process. Like, I, it, I had some boy records. I just wasn't. I say I don't take a lot of things seriously. I definitely did take those records seriously. And it it was just a lot of fun just to be just kind of open. Yeah. Just go, yeah, it's cool. It's just such a unique concept. I mean, there's not many op- many opportunities or many albums I can think of where producers work together like that, you know? I mean, obviously, you did that with... You, you produced all the Gravedigger's beats, so primarily, right? That wasn't, like, RZA doing as much production. Yeah, R- RZA did maybe, like, two, two things on there. And I think Poetic did a track with this guy named Mr. Syme and Fuquan did a track. But yeah, I did the I did the, all the heavy lifting with that. So when you got with Dan, it's like you kind of have to feel each other out or, or figure out like, it sounds like you guys just had a great workflow right, right out of the game. Yeah, I mean, in, in those days it was fun because we would just, you know, find something, oh, that's dope, oh, no, that's, no, that's handsome. That's what we would say. Oh, that's handsome, yeah, okay, and we just, yeah. It, we, you know, out of all the music we have, it's funny, I still got all, a lot of the old discs and a lot of the old music that just didn't make it to the handsome batch. But, you know, we, we would, um, we both mutually agree, that's handsome. Okay, let's work on that. Okay, who do we hear on this? Who can we get? And I think in some regards, it's like, who will actually work with us? You know, Dan's strong point is he's that guy who knows all the alternative rock bands and all the people. Like, I don't know, I don't know any of them. He'll go... Yeah, man, um, you know, uh, Carpet Makers is in town. And, you know, I know the guy, Danny Carpet, and he makes, he's the lead singer. And I'll go, who? And, and then I'll look up, and this guy, they sold two million records? Like, I, it's always some weird, and he, he knows everybody. He's dialed in. 
and it, he exposed me to so much music that I've never heard before and artists and and you know I've learned a lot from Dan you know it, it, that's I, I'd have to say I've, I've definitely learned a lot I think us not having working together in a lot of years I think are we hear differently nowadays and, and that's you know and, and that's understandable but um he's a very smart guy Dan is Dan is brilliant brilliant yeah, guy we gotta get down on here. I just I love that record for that that exact reason. You know, you got Maloko, Jay Live on a track. You got Encore, and, and you got Dell, and you got all these different artists, Chiba Mato, and like Mike D. It's like DJ it, Shadow, Mike Patton. You got like a lot of really interesting combinations of artists that yeah, it, it's and they work. It all makes it, sense. Yeah, it's crazy. And and with that being said, when you listen to the album, you could probably tell who got who. You know what I'm saying? It's like who made the calls to who. You know what I'm saying? And, um. Yeah, like I said, Dan Dan is, is brilliant. He's a very smart guy, very talented. Um, and uh, yeah, there's another Handsome Boy project um, in the midst uh, of being worked on. We just got to get the music all coordinated, but we're, we're, we're close. We're close. Awesome. And I know you're really short on time, so I'm going to just a couple more questions. The one question we ask everybody who comes on the show is... What does the power of music mean to you? And that's what the show's about. So I'd love to hear what the power of music means to you, Principal. Wow. What does the power of music I think the power of music means to me is it's just life. It's, it's, it's life-altering, life-changing, life-motivating. I mean, if you think about it, you can... You can do a drive-by to a song. You can make love to a song. <laughs> you know, to music. <laughs> you could do your homework to a song. You know, you can uh, work at your job to a song. You know what I'm saying? It's the soundtrack to your life. You know what I'm saying? It, it, and you can think back and hear this one thing, and you could just go off and like, oh wow. You could be motivated to do things. You go to the gym. You got your power workout. Like, you like, like I just. I got my gym clothing on because I came back from the gym. You know, my my what's in my headphones sliders usually MF Doom. Um, it's funny you wouldn't think work out to MF Doom. Uh, um, what, what's his name? Oh come on, um, Mike Tyson made the Mike Tyson album. Shoot, I don't uh, actually know that. Oh, oh, the album Mike Tyson. Uh, uh, he passed away. He was down with Boot Camp Click. Come oh, Sean on, Price? Sean Price. Sean Price, uh, yeah, I'm all over the place. And that's my motivation. I'm like, yeah. So, yeah, to me, that's the power of music, man. It's, it's the soundtrack to life. Wow. That's a really great answer, man. Sorry, I think you. I was, I was searching for that one. That was a hard <laughs> question, man. I was like, I don't want to be that dude that came on here and, and when you do the edits of, um, you know, the power of music and then everybody goes back to back and paul goes yeah, yeah it's just you know it's, it's what i do you know and everybody has all these like you know crazy answers that was a great one that was a great answer especially the first bit where you're like you can do a drive-by to it yeah, soundtrack to life <laughs> yeah absolutely um okay i got one question from the audience uh the diva speaks asked when is the prince when is principal going to release a book and i'm curious to know is that something on the cards? You know, yeah, and, and, and peace to the Diva Speaks. Um, 
the uh, I remember many years ago, and, you know, of course, that is not just a straight yes or no answer. Um, I was asked to do a book, and I said that I never thought my life was interesting enough for me to do a book. Um, that was probably about 20 years ago. I think now my life is interesting enough to do a book, but I told my kids I'm going to sit down and I'm going to outline all the stuff I want and I'm going to audio, I'm going to record it and then, you know, I hope to live a very long life. Um, when I'm gone, they could put it out and publish it because there's a lot of things that I can't say while I'm living because I will be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be brutally honest. Like I wouldn't lie to anybody. I wouldn't like blow anybody up, but there's so many great stories and a great book would have to hurt some feelings, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's just, it is what it is. And I, you know, and I can't do that and expect to walk around in 2022 and feel safe. So I would have to do that you know and move on because i can make my honest opinions of things and like yeah man it, yeah that record was whack yeah man that person tried stole 100 dollars from me you know I, yeah. you gotta call people he did out. drugs in the bathroom at my house you know i, I can say all of that stuff you know have you um have you heard have you watched the, there's a, a documentary on netflix uh, andy warhol diaries i think it is and they got like an ai voice of andy warhol to narrate it and it's all these stories from his diary and it's kind of like that, actually. And I was like, you know, just just to put a, a bug in your ear, if you if you were ever thinking about doing that, you should get like an AI Prince Paul to tell a story and make it to the doc or a bit, or a book like that. That would be pretty interesting. You know, I was funny. I've seen that on Netflix and just skipped by. I was like, I like Andy Warhol, but an hour and a half of Andy Warhol, <laughs> two hours, I don't no. know. And I kept Yo, skipping. It's, it's a whole season, dude. It's, it's like uh, it's a lot, but it's. I, I mean, I was I had COVID at the time, so I, I, I breezed through it. I was like not going anywhere. So. Um, Definitely check it out. It's worthwhile. Just on the the concept of it, like this AI voice. His story is very interesting. It's from this like lady who had all his diaries and transcribed them into a book. Highly recommend all right. it. Especially, all right, I'm gonna watch it, and then if I feel like I've wasted my life, we gotta figure out a monetary or some type of way I can get paid back. I feel like I've got. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll do some kind of deal with you. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss this offline. <laughs> it's like music. That's why there's a lot of music I don't listen to because there's so much to filter through. So I usually go by people who I trust that suggest and send me things because, man, if I listened to everything that was given to me, I would never get that time back. You know, it's it's a lot of great music, but there's a lot of bad music and there's a lot of it's, it's almost like driving without navigation or a map. There's a lot of wrong streets I have to hit before I get to the right streets. Very and that's true. to me, that's what music is. I'm like, oh. Oh, I wasted all this time by going south. I could have just went north. I'll never get that time back. I'm late. And that's how music is to be. I just put me all on the right path and the right things, and I and life will be easy, breezy, and nice. But there's no GPS to music. That's so true, Because everybody man. has a hit, and everybody makes great music. That's so true, dude. Yeah, I love that. I love that. But look, Paul, thank you again so much for your time. Is there anything you want to you want to let people know about before we, we wrap this up or is there anyone you want to shout out or anything? Uh, I want to shout out everybody. It's funny shout out. So I feel like I'm one of them old big school video shows. Yo, I want to shout out all my people in the Bronx, <laughs> Brooklyn, Manhattan. Um, everybody who uh, came through today. I mean, all of you out there. I, I you know, I, I just realized there's a screen right here that has 
all the stuff that people typed in. I just saw it. I would have read it the whole time. <laughs> I realize I've been doing this a lot. I got that from uh, from um, which which his name Denzel Washington. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was in Training Day. He was like, Oh yeah, Training Day. Man, I love that. Movie. That's a good um, movie. Yeah, but but no, but um. Yeah, everybody came through, you know, and, and I appreciate everyone to sticking around and listening. And, and um, I don't know. I always feel like my life is boring and the things I say are boring. So it's it's always nice when people comment or, you know, want to be heard. Abs- oh, man, your life is far from boring. And it's this has been one of the best interviews we've had. It's, I think everyone really enjoyed it. And, yeah, man, someone said that I think really really early on someone said this is like the golden state state warriors playing in the third quarter there's so many gems being dropped. so uh, well that's nice yeah well i i appreciate the, the invite and i'm sorry it took so long i'm, I'm not that difficult usually i'm very not easy just we couldn't get our time synchronized you know what, what, what took time was me going and working with de la soul because that was very last minute and unexpected and and a blessing at the same time so i i, I had to go where the music takes me i can't wait to hear what came of that too so fingers crossed. Oh, it should be great um yeah so uh, you, you said real quick yeah um just look for look for something from de la soul look for it to handsome boy model school me and uh new kirk we're scoring a documentary for hbo that should come out should have been out but um the pandemic slowed everything down so sometime next year um I don't know. I want to make a record, but I don't. I don't know. I'm trying to find the motivation. Um, um, you know, there's different artists. I've been talking to uh, Fat Boy Sharif. I've been talking to um, maybe about recording some things. Um, talked recently to Count Base D. I just had a conversation oh, with Jay Live. Yes. You know. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. I want, I want to be excited about music, and I want to just like, uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think uh, Sour Milk, who's one of the DJs uh, in L.A., I don't know if you know DJ Sour Milk, but he was, he's really wanted to talk about Prince Among Thieves. We'll have to save that for the next time we get you on here, Paul, because oh, yeah, I love to do yeah. part two. Um, because, uh, yeah, I know a lot of people, that's one of their favorite records of yours and one of mine, too. So. Oh, wow. Well, that, that's, that's, yeah, we'll, we'll, we could definitely talk about that. Um. I'm around. Uh, okay. I'll be a little easier to get to this next time. Okay, awesome, man. Um, again, thank you again so much for for being on here. And you have a podcast too, right? Um, yeah, I, I had. Um, there was one I did with Open Mike Eagle called um, what? I forgot what it was called. Is it Thirty Three? It's funny. Four? I named the podcast. And I don't remember what what it was. Uh, 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 what had happened was. What had happened was. That's right. yeah, 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 yeah. Right, Just a fun check fact. That out. Gotta check uh, that. Yeah, did that, and I had uh, another podcast on Spotify um, called uh, "Man, See What Happens When You Get Old." Thirty-three and a third, and I, I hosted a bunch of those, and those are great. And um, hopefully, one day I'll be able to do another podcast. Those podcasts are fun. Yeah, we we really love having you on here today, uh, Paul. Thank you again. So yeah, thank you. Time. Thank thanks again, and everybody, be safe out there. And um, I'm around. All right, everybody. <laughs> Give it up! Give it up for Paul. Ah! <laughs> and uh, we've got to give a quick uh, air horn as well for this one. <laughs>
Um, hey, everybody, check out my cup real quick. You know, I got the, oh, the doodle cup. Just so everybody knows, you know, it's high roll. There we go. Just in case everybody wanted to know what I was sipping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Paul. Have a great day, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Yep, I'll be around. Take care. Thank you again. All right. Have peace. a good one. Peace. Yo, thank you, everybody, so much. That was epic, uh, to say the least.